Welcome to the WAC 2022-23 Women's Basketball Schedule Preview Show. I'm Kendra Sheehan, joined by Ben Wilson, ESPN Play-by-Play. We'll do the NBA G League Ignite Play-by-Play. He's done several of our WAC basketball tournaments. He's worked several championships, swimming, soccer, baseball, you name it, he's there. Ben Wilson, we're so happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? Oh, what an intro, Kendra. I've missed you guys. It seems like forever since we were all in uh, in Mesa for WAC baseball. And yeah, here we are. We're ready to go. A uh, new season just right around the corner. I know everything's happening so quickly. It seems like just yesterday that baseball was wrapping up and now we're already into fall sports. Week zero pass, week one, we got football coming up. It's so exciting. So let's start. We have several key matchups that we've kind of prepared to uh, go through as we look at this schedule. And we'll start with one that is likely a rematch of the WAC tournament championship last year. It is Stephen F. Austin taking on Grand Canyon. They play each other January 7th at GCU, and then they'll play each other again February 11th at Stephen F. Austin. SFA, it was the team that went to the NCAA tournament. They joined the WAC for the first for their first year last season, and they just absolutely dominated. What can you tell us about this matchup? It's going to be a lot of, uh, I, not, I wouldn't say bad blood, but you know these two teams are heated and ready to play each other again. Oh, no doubt. And I think, too, what's really interesting, we talked last year, all the Texas schools that had joined the league, and you had these uh, these home-and-homes, and it was really interesting for a lot of the uh, these schools that have been in the conference for a while, like a, like a GCU making those trips to Texas. And we saw this both in the men's and the women's basketball schedule where it was really tough. It was definitely like a growing experience. And uh, I think you saw a lot of those, those wet, more like Western coast schools. I have to adapt really quickly and they struggled too. And, and I think you saw too a season ago. I mean, everybody coming into last year was talking about California Baptist. So I know we're going to get into. And so if for GCU is an interesting spot, right? You're, you're trying to unseat the defending conference champion who had this crazy 2020 undefeated season. And yet at the same time, kind of out of nowhere comes this Lady Jack team, who, by the way, is still going to have two of their three leading scorers back from a season ago. And so that's, you know, for Molly Miller, who's built that program up so quickly at, at GCU, it, it, she's done an outstanding job getting, getting them into a position to compete for conference titles here, which is what they, you know, what any, everybody expects there for, uh, for the Lopes program. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where we look top to bottom at that conference and there's so much parity. And I mean, you think about nine of the 13 teams won at least eight conference games a season ago. It's pretty amazing in its own right. So for these two specifically, yeah, you think about the conference championship game and and how those two teams squared off the last season and, and how good of a run it was for SFA. I, I definitely expect now that you have a little bit of history now and these teams are a little bit more familiar I'll be really interested to see how these games will match up, especially the two, like you talked about, Kendra, in the uh, in the regular season. But you know, it's funny, like coming into last year, CBU was the team with the target on their backs. And this season, it really will be uh, the Lady Jacks. And for good reason. I mean, that team was so loaded last year. They were so consistent from start to finish. And they did something that very, very few teams uh, can accomplish, which is, you know, running through an entire conference slate nearly undefeated. So that to me is, the, is that's the, those are the most scintillating couple of games when you think about, program really on the rise in GCU and now that team especially heading into this year still with a lot of pieces back who is going to be the front runners to come out of the league 
And you look at what head coach Molly Miller has done with that GCU program, 40 wins in, in two seasons. And she went into the transfer portal. And something I love about that is she, she grabbed Aaliyah Collins from Chicago State. She grabbed Sid Palma from CBU. And she got some Summit League transfers. So she got a few uh, new pieces that should uh, take over for losing Amara Graham in the offseason. No, you know, doubt. And it's funny, I actually covered uh, when, when Coach Miller was at Drury, which is a Division II school in Missouri. I was I was at that point uh, in Missouri before I moved out here to the West Coast. And I remember covering her and her teams. And even at the Division II level, she was I mean, she was widely respected just as being a tremendous recruiter. And she was always able to uh, make, you know, usually make the most of wherever she was at and get really, really good players in. So it's not a surprise to me, just kind of knowing her from a previous stop and having covered her teams in the past, that she has transitioned that in. Uh, but yeah, it's especially too with, with the portal now, and, and we've seen how the lack has grown. As I just talked about the parity, there's even on a, you know, even even a team you mentioned like a Chicago State who had their struggles in the past. There was there was really really good talent even on the teams further down in in the conference. And so for her to you know, there's so many things to like about of GCU just from the overall program and the way we talked about them being on the rise and you have a young, relatively young coach who connects really well with players and has been a, a really proven recruiter. I think you're seeing that manifest itself. And, and it, it, for the, I think the younger coaches definitely have somewhat of a, a bit of a baked in advantage, just knowing that the, the transfer portal now, it, it, it's a thing that everybody is pretty used to if you're a younger coach. And I, to me, you know, you're comparing that to maybe someone who has, who's been around for, you know, two, three decades, who kind of has a system in place for how they go about recruiting. You kind of have to throw that out the window now. And like, when, when would you ever have seen intra-conference transfers with, with different schools? It just usually doesn't happen, but it's, it's kind of the world we live in now. And that's certainly one, you know, you look at some of the coaches who have been really, really successful and uh, Coach Miller's really, you know, certainly um, among the top three or four you would look at as, as saying, like they, they pro probably have the goods to at least find a transfer or two that could be really, really impactful. And as you point out, it, it definitely seems like that's been the case this year. Certainly. And there's a few more of those interconference uh, transfers that we'll talk about as we keep going through our schedule. But Stephen F. Austin, of course, having that uh, last year's WAC Coach of the Year should be a great matchup. Another one that we have, and you had mentioned a bit, California Baptist taking on Utah Valley. So that'll be January 7th at UVU, and then they'll play each other again February 16th at California Baptist. And it seems like both of these teams really lost significant players in the offseason Utah Valley losing Josie Williams, Maria Carvalho had transferred, and then, of course, California Baptist loses Ane Oleta, Brittany Thomas, Georgia Dale, Caitlin Harper, who also transferred. So, really, what can we expect from two teams that lost a lot of key players and are going to need a lot of their younger guys on the roster to step up? Yeah, I think, to me, Kendra, California Baptist is probably the most intriguing team in the conference this year, and it's simply, I mean, you listed – players who have been all conference. You know, these are not just solid rotational pieces. I mean, Ani Oleta has been a conference player of the year and one, arguably one of the best mid-major you know, mid uh, point guards in the country the last couple of years. And so the, the run that they went on with her, and, and you think about how you know, everything clicked when, when Brittany Thomas came back from injury in 2020 and they go undefeated and they make it to the, you know, the quarterfinals of the, of the WNIT. And, it, you know, you, you think about how I'm, I'm sure for them looking back, knowing that last year was, was always likely going to be that last run with that whole core together, a little disappointing, you know, to come up short in that, what was an incredible game, probably the game of the tournament 
on the women's side last year when they they lost that uh, you know, that really tight game to Grand Canyon. So you know, I wonder too. Like we we've seen how well they've been able to reload, and especially since transitioning to Division One, I, I, it's hard to find another program. Just if you look around the rest of the country, who has handled a transition immediately with with that much success that well, like CBU has done, and so. This definitely would feel like a you know a season of transition. I'm sure that if you talk to you know Coach Jared Olson, who's just he's he's enjoyed nothing but success there, and he's again another guy who's been a tremendous recruiter, has been able to get the most out of a lot of unheralded recruits, many of whom you know he brought in when they were still Division Two before they were transitioning to D1. This is this will this will teach us a lot, just you know where where they're at as a program, the Lancers, and so you've used you know they're they're another one of those teams that appear to be somewhat on the rise and kind of lost in that shuffle last year, Kendra. I mean, everybody talked about SFA, GCU, CBU, but Utah Valley, they, they were the fourth team that got to double digit wins in the conference last year. And it's always a really, really tough place to, to go play on the road. And they were able to, uh, to, to really get a lot of those teams who, especially on the you know back ends of long road trips. Uh, they're the classic team though. It's like, can, you know, especially as you talk about with a younger roster, can they travel? Can they go to the Texas schools and pick up some wins in conference? Because they, they've always been a team that has certainly been, has, has had a little bit more of those, you know, predominant splits versus home and road. And, and, and you see that a lot of times too, with, you know, with, with the Utah schools or the schools who play at elevation, especially in these conferences that are more spread out. So uh, definitely, you know, two teams in, in years of transition, uh, I would, you know, I wouldn't be surprised too, if the Wolverines, you know, with, with some of the younger core that they've, they've developed, uh, given some of the transition with these other schools, if they're a team that could threaten for maybe a, you know an outside shot at a three seed this year in that WAC tournament. You know, I was looking at all the players on the roster last year and, and kind of the transfer portal and Madison Grange, we used to call her highlights as Madison Grange with the range and she, she transferred to University of South Dakota. So no longer gets to do our highlights, but California Baptist finished their four year transition. So they are officially eligible for the WAC tournament title and um, at a uh, NCAA postseason title. As we keep going on, we have WAC newcomer, University of Texas Arlington taking on Sam Houston. That's February 16th at UTA. UTA, a team that you know we don't know necessarily too much about as being new to the WAC, but we saw what they, what they did in the Sun Belt. They won the Sun Belt. They went to the NCAA tournament. It was their first NCAA appearance since 2007, their third time in program history. And they were led by Star Jacobs, who appears to be returning on the roster. So it seems like they have a, a bunch of good pieces to potentially make a run like Stephen F. Austin did uh, this past season. Would you, would you agree or what would you have to say? Oh, oh yeah, no doubt. And they, uh, you think about, uh, they, you, you think about Sam Houston as well. They, there have been a couple of the, the crossover matchups too. They played Sam Houston uh, last year, pretty early in the season, UTA and, and beat them uh, going away. It, Sam Houston, a team who ended up being, I mean, you know, ended up nine and nine in the conference, but had a pretty impressive run and they, you think back to the you know the overall women's tournament. I mean, they really pushed CBU uh, in that it was that quarterfinal game, the three-six matchup. So that was the Sam Houston team that I when I, I did that game, the CBU Sam Houston game, and came away really really impressed with them. And I, I think the general consensus for Sam Houston was all right. We we have a lot to improve on, and we have a lot of growth. But it doesn't just seem catch like this has kind of been the the theme of the whack. Like no matter what sport, anytime there has been expansion, whatever these new schools come in have usually been at or near the top of for multiple sports, whatever conference they were just leaving. So like you take a conference that, you know, remember heading into last year, it was like, wow, GCU, CBU should be really, really elite. 
Oh, and then you're just going to throw in Stephen F. Austin, who was, you know, the absolute class of their league before transitioning in. Now you're going to add in UTA, who not only, I mentioned, you know, beat Sam Houston last year, went to UNLV, beat, uh, beat a UNLV team that was a 13 seed in the NCAA tournament, beat South Florida, who was ranked top 15 in the country at the time, and had some really, really impressive wins in that stretch. So even though, you know, I honestly thought they were, I think maybe just because of the strength of schedule and conference, they were a little bit disrespected by the committee. They only got a 14 seed, but even then, like they really pushed Iowa state last year. So that's one of those schools. And, you know, I kind of talked about earlier uh, when you look at like a, you know, the GCU SFA matchup or now that they've had a year to see each other and, and they get used to those trips, it, I would imagine it's going to create a bit more of a rivalry type feel this year, but UTA, I, I'd certainly give them a big edge where you're in a position where teams don't really know you as well. Sure, you can do the game-by-game game scout, but it's not, it's not necessarily going to be as you know, program deep as some of these other schools that you'll, you'll see. So I definitely give them a leg up. And we saw, I mean, SFA proved last year, you can come in with no real knowledge of this conference. And if you have the goods and the talent, you can make a run and, and immediately establish yourself. So UTA, like how they fit in this year, how they match up against SFA and, and then where those, you know, those, those, two, those schools all align uh, will be really, really interesting. Like I was saying earlier, I think you have to make those, you, know, you would think on paper, the three likely favorites at the top. Um, and then there's so there's a ton of other challengers, though, like I mentioned, Utah Valley and even Sam Houston, who was just a, a, a team that was like a three point barrage every time you watched him last year. Um, if that kind of goes to the good this season and the variance kind of goes to the right side for them, that's also a team that could uh, that could threaten there. So really fascinated to see what we get out of UTA this year. Certainly, and with head coach Sharika Wright, she's in her second season as head coach. I was actually listening to this Houston podcast, and the host had asked her, you know, in her in the season that she was in, did, as early as she was as a head coach, did she expect to go to the NCAA tournament? And she said that we had all the pieces. We had a good, you know, seven core seniors that really helped us. And so she had said if this was going to be the year to do it, like they were going to do it that year. And so she seemed confident, but also confident in some of the players that she returned. And, of course, Sam Houston was that team that, you know, they started 0-6 in WAC play last year. Of course, they didn't have their head coach, Raven Justice. She, she did take some time off for personal reasons. But when she was back, they won seven of their eight games. So never discount the Bearcats, certainly, I think, is is what we learned in WAC play last year. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I'm, impre- I'm impressed, Kendra. You're listening, you know, you're listening to, like, the deep dive podcast. You're you're doing your homework. No time off. I, you weren't t- you didn't take any vacation this summer. Like, I, you, you know, I, I know how this goes. That's that's what is impressive about you. You're, you're, you're always digging for the uh, you're digging for the stories. That's what that's what uh, that's what makes you one of the best. All right. No time off. Thank you, Ben. You're one of the best. You're one of our favorite people to have on the podcast. Throughout the podcast, I guess this is our our new show. But we'll keep on moving. We have Abilene Christian at UTRGV January 21st at ACU, and then they'll play each other February 11th at UTRGV. Now, the Vaqueros knocked out the Wildcats 73-70 to in Vegas last year in the tournament. This is these are two teams that have one of them that I don't think they really have a lot of veteran presence on either team. If I'm really looking at them, Maddie Miller is going to be one of two grad players on that Wildcat squad, whereas UTRGV ultimately lost some of their players. Sarah Bershear is no longer on the roster. And just because I'm rambling here about all the uh, facts I looked up in the <laughs> this, Sarah Bershears went to UAB and will actually play with her sister, Tracy Bershears, who went to Oklahoma State. And so they'll both play each other, play with each other at UAB.
So uh, yeah, and Br the Brashears loss, I mean, that is, I remember she had, I think, three threes in that uh, that eight nine matchup, which was like, one of like the sneaky, really fun matchups of that tournament. Uh, both, you know, both teams came out, and I think too that was a great example last year of, of teams that have a familiarity with each other, and they they knew the opposing game plans pretty well, and it was all just a matter of execution. And you saw those you saw those teams last year, like when they faced off in the tournament, it was just like quick release. They were ready to go up and up and down tempo. I think that first quarter, if I remember correctly, there were like 45 points. Actually, I'm looking at it now, 44 points combined in the first quarter. So it was super up tempo and fast, you know, and for UTRGV, I think, you know, it's a school that goes under 500 last year and eight and 10 in the whack. But I mean, they showed, they showed flashes. And I think what was, what was obvious with that program was when you rely a little bit too heavily on the three ball, which they kind of admitted that that was the case at times, you, if, you know, those nights where it's not working and if you don't have necessarily other ways to score, you can, especially in this league where we're, the whole theme of, I feel like this show, Kendra, has just been the general parody and how deep and talented all these rosters are. If you're relying on just that one area of scoring, it, it can be, a, it can become a struggle pretty quickly. So I'll be curious to see just the overall consistency um, from them this year. And, and then, as you mentioned for, uh, you know, for ACU, it's funny how, you know, like the, if you, if you talk to like on the men's side where that, that program has just been defined by defense and grinded out and low scoring games. And in a way, the women's team was kind of the opposite. I mean, they put up some really, really big point totals last year, but at the same time, the defense it was, was an Achilles heel at times. And in the regular season, I mean, you think about the two games last year against UTRGV, they scored 88 in a win at home, and then they gave up 82 in a loss on the road. So I'm kind of, you know, consistency to me is kind of the theme with both of both those two schools. We saw glimpses at times, but we also saw where they had pretty significant Achilles heel and it heels. And that's at the end of the day, what kept them in, you know, that eight, nine range in the tournament. It'll be interesting to see ACU and their scoring, how that's affected by losing Jamie Benarens, who's now an assistant coach at Cameron University. And then they also lost Tatum Barbara. They did bring in four true freshmen. It looks like five transfers. So they do have some height that they brought in, but it will definitely be interesting to see how they have to change um, the way that they play on the offensive side of the ball. And our final matchups that we're going to be looking at is Utah Tech taking on WAC newcomer Southern Utah. So December 29th, they will play at SUU. That is the opening week for WAC play. And then January 19th at Utah Tech, formerly known as Dixie State. Utah Tech, a team that went 10-19 and overall last year. This is just kind of what I would say is just a huge rivalry game. We talked about it a lot with football. I mean, the two schools are, what, 40 miles apart, I think, you know, with Southern Utah being new to the league. I think that's kind of, I guess, the theme of this is just the absolute battle between the two Utah schools in the league now. Yeah, oh, for sure. And at least, like, for me, being based in uh, Vegas, a lot gets talked about, like, in covering UNLV as well as I have in the past. That it is always talked about Cedar City, where Southern Utah is at, uh, and, and by proxy you have St. George with uh, with Utah Tech, and it's like both of those places, sort of how we talk about in the same mindset of Utah Valley, really really difficult places to play. It's not just the elevation; it's those are like they're smaller schools, but they like they're able to create really really good home atmospheres. If you haven't seen a game, and people will see this now for the first time for first time for Southern Utah playing a really cool intimate. Uh, intimate small little arena that, that gets really, really loud really easily. You don't need that many fans there to make it just feel uh, like a really imposing type of environment. So, that, you know, I would say obviously on the Utah Tech side, I mean, just a lot of transition in general uh, with, with the university and, and coming in 
Uh, now you have the, the change of name there and you're trying to get back to at least, you know, more near 500. And it was, yeah, amidst a pretty demanding schedule a season ago, you know, got to six wins in the league, but, you know, they were, so they were right there with like the Seattle and the Mexico state type team, certainly, uh, you know, a notch below that other grouping right in the middle there. And so to me, it's, it's all about, can you take another step in, in development and growth? Whereas for Southern Utah, even though it is a change in conference, this was still like, again, not, not quite to the extreme as UTA where they just ran through their league, but Southern Utah was a really good big sky team last year. And they, and they went out and played a, you know, pretty solid um, non-con. I, I have to think they'll have a little bit of a you know, kind of a bitter taste in their mouth from how the season ended where, you know, they go into the big sky tournament. They had played really, really good ball heading in They'd won three or four and, you know, they ended up getting the 14 and six in the conference and then they're upset. They lose in the first round to Idaho. And that's, you know, that's sort of how their season ended. But uh, if a team, you know, you look at what they did at home and it was very tough for, for teams to go in there and win 10 and four home record last season. Uh, and, you know, they, even though they took their lumps, they did go to UT RGV last year and put up 80. They beat uh, the Vaqueros on the road in Edinburgh. So there's at least a little bit of familiar, familiarity there in the conference, but it seems to be a team that on, on paper kind of projects as like a upper mid tier up sort of group, one that easily could threaten for, you know, a top six seed, I would say, for Southern Utah. And their head coach, Tracy Sanders, for Southern Utah. She took a team that had three wins in 2018-19 season to 18 wins the following year. So never count out the Thunderbirds when you have a head coach like that who can transform a program and snag some, uh, actually snagged, Megan Jensen from Utah Valley in the uh, transfer portal. We were talking about interconference uh, transfer portal. So very interesting. Megan Jensen was a solid player for Utah Valley. Well, Ben, we want to thank you so much for having, for joining us and uh, helping to break down some of these key matchups. We're so excited for the upcoming basketball season. Of course. Well, thank you so much for the invite. I, it, the way these seasons always work, like before we know it, it's going to be November opening weekend. And then all of a sudden it's going to be uh, whack Vegas and it's going to be, we're going to be at, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be getting post-game uh, meals at uh, the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what our restaurant of choice was last year at the Fridays. <laughs> How could I forget? I went so many times, I just forget my, my brain you became seven back. times in one week. <laughs> you went seven times. I would, that, that's, let's set the record clear. You and said Bonner went seven times in one week. I only went like twice. All right, let's just, let's let the record show that. But no, I'm very excited for the, uh, for the season to start. And it's, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see super super deep league and i mean they're like to me a, a lot of really really good uh, schools in uh, in the mix here and you know five or six that are, are I, I would think are going to be really really solid certainly i think what we predict now a couple months from now we'll have probably no bearing on what what the actual case is you never know <laughs> how this usually works so, well, that was Ben Wilson, ESPN play-by-play. -play. He's done our WAC basketball tournaments for the past several years and a number of other WAC events for us as well. Thank you so much for joining us for the full schedule. Head to our website, WACsports.com. I'm Kendra Sheehan. We'll see you for the men's preview show.